Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest. I think you're really going to enjoy. We're going to be talking about wokeness. Everyone knows it's really important to battle wokeness. Even Bill Maher and sometimes Barack Obama speak out against wokeness, but are they really fighting against it? What is with all of this opposition? What does it mean? Joining me today is Patrick Casey. He is the host of Restoring Order. He's written for magazines like Chronicles and American Greatness. Patrick, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me on, Aaron. It's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm. it was really interesting because you suggested the stream topic. And then as soon as you did, and I was like, well, that's a great idea. Let, let's talk about it. There are all these examples that just started popping up. And it's always great when that happens. You got plenty of yeah, real it makes life the show very easy. Yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's how you know you picked a relevant topic. So you, know, you said to me, let's talk about this opposition to wokeness, because like I said, we, we know everyone now is supposed to be opposed to this all mainstream conservative outlets even so many central uh or centrist liberals and even some guys like barack obama have said we need to calm down on this stuff we need to pump the brakes uh we had bill maher this weekend every conservative's favorite guy to cheer on right before he makes fun of them again uh he came out once again and did one of his little tirades about how you got to be careful with the woke revolution because it'll come for you like it has for him but uh Right. So so we have these these performative oppositions to wokeness, the, these stances where people who, you know, maybe went along with a lot of the woke revolution, were interested in a lot of the things that might have been precursors to the woke revolution, suddenly find themselves needing to step out and say, I oppose this. We'll get into some of the people on the right who do this, because I think you made some very good points about that as well when we talked beforehand. But let's start with some of these people on the left. Why are they feeling the need now to step out and oppose wokeness like this? Sure. Well, it, it might depend on the person, but I think overall there there's there's some commonality with people left of center who love to critique wokeness. You might have someone like Bill Maher. I'm sure he's kind of a comedian, I guess. At the very least, he's someone who likes to poke fun at things. And of course, you're not allowed to poke fun at the sacred cows of the left. And I think you do have some people who are rich and famous and don't like to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that could be part of it. When it comes to people who are a little more... Like Barack Obama, you mentioned that he made some comments a year or two ago on, on call-out culture, calling out, you can't be totally woke. Forget the exact phrase. Um, but I, I think you do have some political operatives who probably understand that the excesses of wokeness are absolutely fueling the right and that it's providing some easy, low-hanging fruit for the Republican Party to critique when you have uh, just the, the visceral hatred directed at entire categories of, of people, Christians, men, um, white people, you know, conservatives in general. Coming from critical race theory, it's very easy for Republicans to uh, to run on it, to campaign on it, for conservative media to to point out that this is an issue, to get clicks on social media. And I, I do think that you have some people who are uh, absolutely opposed to everything that we value as, as right-wingers, as Christians, but at the same time, they recognize that wokeness is maybe not the correct way to reach reach their ends. So that's kind of my perspective on it. No, I think that's a good distinction because you I think you I think you do have like three distinct groups on the left. First, you got the ones that you just talked about, which are these people who they're they're in line with all the goals of wokeness. They have all the same biases, all the same hatreds, they have all very similar agendas, but they don't want to boil the frog too quickly. They, they, it's more of a, a discussion of tactics. We need to be more careful about the way in which we kind of dismantle these people. And so it's really important to make sure that we don't push certain areas because it might be too obvious, it might give fuel to the wrong people, it might make it too easy for the right to make certain arguments. And so I, I think you're right that that's one very distinct uh, group. And then of course, like you said, you got the Bill Maher group and these are mainly like comedians or rich people who just, you know, they thought that the whole point was to just have this free speech and be able to take shots, whatever they want. Now they're still mostly going to take shots at the safest targets possible. Bill Maher is going to spend may, way more time making fun of the right and Christians and religion in general than he yeah. is people on the left, but he does want that opportunity. He doesn't want to have people come behind him and tell him what to do. And I think there's also the third, which is kind of that um, intellectual dark web 
you know, community, mm-hmm. which still I think center left, if if you're fair at all. And yeah. they're of course they they want to have free inquiry. They they want to be able to look at the subjects they want to at, at universities or something with still many very specific caveats, but but a wider <laughs> range than the woke would be willing to look at. And so they also see this as kind of a threat to their their center left. They wanted to get off the revolution a couple decades ago. And so they're they're really you know, they have a lot of consternation about the people they encouraged most of the way through suddenly telling them that to what to do. So I do think you're right that those are those are some of the key groups when it comes to wokeness uh, and the people who are kind of slightly opposing it from the left for different reasons. Right. And, you know, one thing that unites them other than uh, ostensibly being against wokeness and cancel culture is that they're not really right wing. Uh, that's an important thing to keep in mind. I don't right. think that you know, political alliances oftentimes are defined by coalitions of people who are uniting against something that they all oppose. And I'm not saying everyone needs to fit, you know, X, Y, and Z ideological purity tests in order to be considered right wing or on our side. Um, but all these people, ultimately, you can tell it's many of them are unhappy existing in a political coalition that includes paleocons, uh, neo-reactionaries and whatever. Um, I don't know if we want to name names on the show, but uh, I, I know that some of them in the in the intellectual dark web have, you know, attacked you and Christian nationalism. These are it's almost like they think it's the same. They're drawing a horseshoe theory like Christian nationalism, which means a million different things, depending on who you ask. Some of these people in the intellectual dark web view wokeness and Christian nationalism as equally threatening to this uh, ideologically neutral you know, form of classical liberalism or something that, you know, you have pointed out in your videos never existed to begin with. So uh, it's just kind of, you know, it doesn't mean these people are enemies necessarily, but it's, uh, if, if people get one takeaway from the show, it's that someone saying they're against anti-wokeness uh, is really not enough to mean that they're, they have the same ends in mind that we do. Yeah, you're right. So very often these people specifically take their tact because they say, well, I might be against the left now because they're in power, but the right is way more dangerous, right? This is very, a very common refrain from these people. So they do, uh, they, they are currently focusing their energy on, you know, the, the radical left because it's very clearly in power. It's very difficult for anyone to pretend uh, that that's not the case. They have almost complete control of every institution in the United States. So it would be really comical to focus almost entirely on the right. But the very minute that anyone on the right happens to step outside of their like super neutral version of classical liberalism, all of a sudden you see the the knives come out. And they, they're very clear that while they will mainly spend their time focusing on the left, it's really important to immediately knife anyone to their right the minute that they step out of line because their real fear at the end is not wokeness. They're not really worried about wokeness. What they're really worried about is that someone might, you know, have some kind of uh, position that isn't derived directly from, I don't know, J- John Locke or something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the minute you you whip out Hegel, uh, you're, you, that's when the knives <laughs> come out. That's when <laughs> you've revealed yourself to be uh, a great threat to, uh, yeah, you've revealed yourself to be a Gnostic or something. That's kind of one of these meme, um, you know, uh, terms that gets thrown around a lot in these circles. Yeah, well, it's very true. And I think it's part of, part of that is oftentimes in politics, yes, your alliances are defined by what you're up against, but sometimes the the greatest political uh, uh, battles are oftentimes with people with whom you're very close. And I think oftentimes that's lamentable. Um, you know, it depend. It really depends on the context. But you know, the thing with a lot of the intellectual dark web types is they understand they are opposed to paleocon dissident right stuff just because they do ideologically disagree. But the other thing is they understand that there is just really a lot of grassroots opposition to evils like critical race theory and the LGBT madness playing out in schools all across the country. Um, and they understand that, you know, the more conservative iterations of opposition to that are, are um, you know, are opposed to kind of, it's a competition basically. So that's another angle to keep in mind. It's that there's almost like a competition or a battle as to how to frame some of these things, wokeness, how to oppose it and so forth. So, you know, it doesn't mean that, again, everyone who, you know, either you could disagree with a tweet of theirs is is uh, the enemy or something of the sort. But again, it is worth trying to keep people's motivations in mind and understand how, how some of these dynamics work. 
Yeah, exactly right. You don't want to spend all your time running around and smashing people on the head who are mostly pulling in your direction in a key battle, but you also want to understand that those people are motivated to peel a particular direction and they will the moment they have the opportunity. If you look um, at someone like Andrew Sullivan, you know, he's now been uh, been classified as some kind of conservative at this point, though I'm not sure how that's possible. I mean, yeah. I, I, I guess I do know exactly how that's possible, but <laughs> but but you know he just came out yesterday talking about like basically giving the conservative case for trans kids like giving the you know the the like well here's the moderate position and people have to remember that this guy also labels himself as an, op an opponent of wokeness right so when you ever you put people like this in the coalition that's fine but remember that if they then gain the ability to kind of dictate the framing now they can create a wedge where they're saying well if you want to continue to be part of the pop the the coalition you need to be on board with this aspect of what we're going to do next and this is exactly how we get the neoconservative cycle where conservatism the right wing is constantly pulled left over and over again by trying to appease people like this in the idea that at some point they'll form a broader coalition victory will come and then they can kind of revert things back to the way they hoped it would be absolutely and that's that's a very good point it's it's striking a delicate balance between not you know declaring anyone with whom there's some disagreement an enemy but also recognizing that there, there is cause for concern um, when it comes to these. You just have to be wary of again people's motivations, where they're coming from ideologically, and when the, once they start drifting into, well, here's why we should right the conservative case for trans kids or whatever. Uh, that's when you have to say, okay, well, this is part of me, not what we should be about, and you know, this is something that should be pushed back against. So, part of me, Remember, yeah. Like no problem. So, yeah, I, I think it's a huge deal for people to just kind of understand that, especially when people explicitly tell you guys like James Lindsay explicitly said, like, I am more worried about the right at the end of the day than I am with the, with the woke left. And when they tell you that, you should just believe them. And that doesn't mean that they might not do some kind of valuable work and there's not something on which you could agree or some area which you could push back. But just don't forget the things that they've told you. Like they, they've yeah. been very explicit with their motivations. Don't lie to yourself that eventually you're going to win these people over. They're, they don't really like you at the end of the day. They're just on your side because they have to be. Uh, you're, you're, you're a ally of convenience, not one of conviction. Um, so, so we've talked about some of this performative opposition on kind of the left and the center here, but I wanted to go ahead and get into the right as well, because again, the one thing that every kind of bog standard con Inc, uh, you know, run of the mill, uh, establishment conservative knows is we're against wokeness. Now, most of them couldn't probably define it. They couldn't, they couldn't understand the lines around it. They couldn't really name for you more than one or two things in which it's connected to, but they do know it's really important for them to oppose it, especially if they're, you know, making a presidential run. Uh, so you, you are putting out a, a, a yesterday a few uh, people who are eyeing very clearly a presidential run here soon, uh, probably going to try to contest either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis, uh, whoever ends up being the kind of the front runner in that, uh, that competition. Uh, but these people are very similar in that they all know they need to be, you know, kind of opposed to wokeness, but they don't really know how best to approach it and what a meaningful opposition of that looks like. Absolutely. And, you know, we previously went into the three categories of performative opposition to wokeness. You had, of course, the kind of comedian celebrities who want to be able to tell fat jokes or something of the sort. We also had the more liberal types. I would throw Larry Fink in there as well. I think he's the CEO of BlackRock. He's he's criticized wokeness. So if that, uh, if you haven't been convinced that just criticizing wokeness alone is uh, does not make you some kind of edgy dissident, doesn't mean you really know anything or you have sound values. Let that be it. Also, I want to give a shout out to academic agent who who pointed me onto that in a, in a speech he gave at a conference. Mm. Um, but credit where credit's due. But I do think it's uh, this category of of conservatives, of Republicans, really, who are ostensibly anti-woke, but are nevertheless not on our sides, uh, our side singular, that is the, the most cause for concern, because these are people who are trying to get our vote. Bill Maher is not trying to get our vote, neither is, uh, you know, Andrew Sullivan. <laughs> and you never know where this might go, but as as of now, someone like Mike Pompeo, however, is trying to get your vote, or at least maybe. People think he's going to run in... 2024. And I think there's a good chance. Nikki Haley as well. She tweeted out CRT is anti-American, like boom, wow, crazy. 
<laughs> and I, I think it's it's particularly insidious that some of these types are starting to voice opposition to issues such as critical race theory. They understand that critical race theory, opposition to it is, is growing at the grassroots level, that this is what uh, the average Republican voter really cares about. Um, but just keep in mind, these people have no intention of delivering. And to the extent that they would deliver, it wouldn't be it wouldn't go far enough to make much of a difference. Now, there are many ways we can go from here. We can talk about the individuals in particular. We can talk about what would actually need to be done to um, to, to end wokeness, uh, wherever you want to take it, Oren. Sure. So let, let's let's uh, start from the individuals and then we'll go to the wider question of, of effective opposition to wokeness. So I know, for instance, Nikki Haley, um, you know, the, her presidential run is the worst kept secret ever. She quasi announced her run like three or four different times, which I think is kind of amazing. It, it's it's really fantastic how good, um, you know, consultants are at uh, getting you know, extracting payments out of people who have no chance of winning. Uh, but but nonetheless, there, there are plenty of people who will be willing to funnel money through her and will pay the, those uh, people. So I guess it's going to work out for them at the end of the day. But Nikki Haley, you know, like she said, she's got to go through the steps. She's got to talk about opposing wokeness. It's anti-American. It's not good. Very, very bad. But when it comes to any kind of specific application of that idea, she falls down almost com comedically right out of the gate, right? Like she opposed the ban on transgender athletes and female sports in her mm. own state. This is a very low bar, right? Yeah. Of the controversial plans, like making sure that like men dressed as women don't slam girls into the ground. So that seems like a pretty easy, that's a softball over the plate for anyone who's trying to oppose wokeness. Right. But this was a bridge too far for, you know, for the, the uh, chamber of commerce candidate, Nikki Haley, right? Yeah, I actually had forgotten that anecdote, and that's a that's a very important thing to keep in mind. Is I, I was thinking in terms of you know these people would maybe enact some policies like that, like banning men in women's sports, and that would be I mean it's something I support. But some of these steps designed to combat many things the left is doing, particularly critical race theory and the LGBT madness, are you know I support you know some degree of incrementalism, I suppose, but. You got to keep in mind that some of the people offering this stuff might just view that as as the end, right? It's oh well, we banned we banned men and women sports. I mean, that, what else is there left to do? Um, but someone like Nikki Haley isn't even willing to go that far. So you have different degrees of performative opposition to um, to to wokeness, and yeah, Nikki Haley's like not even willing to go through, not even willing to support like the bare minimum of you know, maintaining some sense of sanity in this country. So again, that should kind of tell you all you need to know about, about Nikki Haley and, you know, just how opposition to stated opposition to CRT and wokeness really isn't enough. So what, what about Mike Pompeo? Cause I know you were reading Mike Pompeo's work and, you know, God bless you for doing the, <laughs> the work that no one else wants to do here. You're right. re really uh, an impressive project there that you're taking on, but but Mike Pompeo is another one of these guys that seems to, you know, he some kind of MAGA energy maybe, but never really felt like he was behind anything, didn't really have roots in the movement, didn't really understand the issues at play, was more riding a wave than any kind of anything else. When this kind of person mouths the opposition to wokeness, what are they doing? Like, where is he falling short? Sure. And I'm actually more concerned about a Mike Pompeo type figure or type opposition to many of the, the things we're against than I am Nikki Haley, because I'm reading Mike Pompeo's book. I'm about halfway through it. And believe me, I am by no means a Pompeo supporter, but it's it's particularly insidious because I'm reading it and I'm like, I it seems like reasonably good. <laughs> it seems like very Trumpian. Now, this is the guy who I believe hired Mark Milley. Um, you know, there's there's so much to critique when it comes to Pompeo, who was uh, CIA director and secretary of state. So there was a lot of bad stuff that went on under Mike Pompeo's nose, many bad people he appointed. And, you know, yet in his book, he's saying things like, you know, I'm just a white guy. Why would, you know, this bureaucracy want to hire me? And I'm like, wow, OK, he's calling out the left's anti-white agenda or something of the sort that as it exists in the government. Wow, that's reasonably based. A few years ago, you wouldn't have heard anyone say that. Now it's more commonplace. Um, but what what Pompeo represents is is a there's would he even do anything? That's a question worth asking. And b I would I would say this even if he 
you know, were to get elected president or something, I could see him doing kind of some of this low level opposition to wokeness that fundamentally wouldn't change anything. It would be things that, you know, if were they steps in the right direction would be good. Things like maybe cracking down on. So I, I know while he was uh, at, you know, at the secretary of state, he was uh, taking issue with some of the diversity stuff in the Pentagon. Um, now, again, did he actually do anything to stop it? Well, however much power he had, it doesn't seem like he did. Um, but, you know, even if he cracked down somewhat on this, at the end of the day, pre-wokeness, we still had racial favoritism. We still had affirmative action. We had st- still had a lot of civil rights law that was that was doing bad things. Wokeness is really just uh, an eruption, uh, right? It's really this stuff coming to fruition in particularly obscene and egregious and visible forms. So just kind of doing away with the surface level stuff uh, would take us back to the Bush era. Basically, you would still have mass immigration going on and particularly in foreign policy, you would still have empire, right? And we all know that very often empires die because they they expand and they spend so much energy and money just doing who knows what on the other side of the planet. And I, I think the statistic is of, of all of the empires which have existed throughout world history, two thirds of them have ceased to exist by year 250. America has, yeah, it's, it's, there's no you know indication that we're going to fare much better. And um, so Pompeo also is opposed to wokeness because it gets in the way with this kind of new form of neoconservatism where they're pursuing the same agenda, but they just at least say they don't want boots on the ground. And we all understand they're creating the preconditions where boots on the ground might be necessary, uh, but, you know, World War Three or antagonizing Russia and whatever else. So um, it's it's really that pump, you got to forget that globalism isn't really inherently left wing. I would say it largely is. Um, but you still have the outer party, right? You still have like right globalism. And Pompeo absolutely represents that. So even if if you have that, but you take away like the some of the ex, the, the crazy trans stuff and some of the you know diversity whatever, what you still have is very rotten. And America will still die even if you don't have the excesses of wokeness. So again, oftentimes it's it's those who are at least appear to be the closest to you, right? Are, are the wolves in sheep's clothing. And those are the ones you need to be the most aware of. Yeah, I think it's really important to address that uh, that arc as well. The opposition to wokeness on the grounds of it, it creates inefficiencies for the empire, right? There, there's a huge understanding, I think, coming from, from a number of people who understand that the changes to the military, the approaches for recruitment, the approaches uh, for structuring the military, the kind of training it's undergoing, the people it's purging out of it, uh, it's setting itself up for for a pretty big disaster. Now, right now, the United States, all it does is, like you said, it it it's just baiting people with proxy war, right? We got, we're, we're just going to ship tanks. We're not going to fight Russia, but we are going to ship tanks and the people who maintain it and the people who, you know, advise about it to a war zone and then you know oops someone got hit look what happened now you have a, a situation where you actually need to put troops in the field and the question is can a force of people who were selected for their political uh loyalty rather than for their ability to conduct a violent action against the enemies of the united states really stand up in that kind of situation i think a lot of people in the military are hoping that technology and and you know just the ability to outspend and use economic leverage and things will always put the united states in kind of the winning position when it comes to these altercations but there's a real rubber meets the road situation and we've seen that unfortunately the united states through through many different reasons, has been able unable to convert things like Afghanistan into wins uh, because they have chosen very, you know, th- there's been no real mission. There's no been no real good of the United States behind these actions. And so guys like Pompeo who are have an investment in that foreign policy might say to themselves, well, I do want to push back against wokeness, but solely for the fact that it's going to keep American expansion or, or, or keep uh, you know, hegemony uh, out of the hands of the people who I support. And that's a real issue, you know, because wokeness is a big aspect of what's going right now on right now. Like you pointed out, it is a symptom or a, a logical manifestation down the road, evolution of different movements that have been coalescing in the United States. But it's not the only thing that's happening. And the imperial, you know, kind of forever war aspect of the regime is something that, as you pointed out, Many people on the right are who are at least invested in permanent Washington still think is very important, even if they're willing to dial back the wokeness a few decades to make sure that it's more efficient than what it's doing. 
Well said. And I think if you to, to go to Machiavelli's, I believe it was Machiavelli, the lion fox dichotomy, mm. um, where the lions are, there's there's a lot to be said of the differences but, uh, between the two, but just for now, anyone who's not unaware, the lions are kind of like a bolder statesman, I think tend, tend to be a little more conservative, uh, opposed to change, whereas the foxes are, they're craftier and they're more prone to subterfuge and whatever else. I, so much of so much of Pompeo's gripes with the State Department bureaucracy and the bureaucracy, federal bureaucracy in general, which he outlines in his book, are lion complaints about the foxes. He's complaining that under Obama and you know this kind of permanent State Department bureaucracy that they're they're too opposed to doing like bold, grand actions. They're too opposed, and it's it's like okay, well, your complaint about the State Department is they're like not as willing to do like insane stuff on you know against all of these. You know, they're not as willing to like take it to Russia, take it to Iran. I don't have any real major sympathies to these these other nations, but I'd, I'd like to like not, you don't want them to, you know, blow us up and invade us or whatever, of course. But uh, we, we really don't want to antagonism, uh, antagonize them. And that is what so much of globalist foreign policy has has been about. So, so much of what Mike Pompeo was ta- talks about in his book with regard to foreign policy is you know, saying that America's back, we're back on the world stage. Well, what are we back from? He's saying that we're back from the Obama era. Well, what was before the Obama era? The Bush era. That's like kind of what these people want to take us back to. And the Bush era, you still had mass immigration. It was, it was, you know, in theory, more conservative, I guess, more performatively conservative. Uh, but that, that you know, so much bad stuff happened there for people who are sincerely right wing. Uh, so Mike Pompeo, yeah, there's there's a lot to be concerned with here. Uh, and, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is many voters out there would fall for that act of, you know, today we're getting rid of like, you know, 2% of the diversity programs at the Pentagon. You know, President Pompeo says this, everyone cheers for him. Things like that. And you just have to ask yourself when some of these changes to proposed changes or actually actual policies that that get rid of wokeness, some degree of wokeness, woke policies, you have to ask yourself if these are fundamentally changing anything, whether or not they're steps in the right direction. And I think if you want to look at like actual good stuff that's being done with regard to wokeness, you could look to Christopher Rufo and the things he's doing down at the college in, I believe, Sarasota, Florida. And Rufo's made it very clear that like if you see him doing one thing, it's like this is part of like a bigger... Uh, opposition to wokeness. It's not, you know, someone who's running for president who's saying that they're going to do away with like some really just ground level woke policy and then, hey, okay, I hope you are, I hope uh, I earned your vote kind of thing. So, um, and I think Rufo, to his credit, has, has also said that, you know, it's not just getting rid of the left wing bureaucracy. It's it's about, uh, you know, replace that we're not, we're not trying to get to like this value neutral thing. No, we're getting rid of leftist policies and bureaucracy. And we're placing replacing them with with conservative stuff. Now that doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree on everything. I'm sure everyone watching this, we might all have a different uh, visions of what you know our ideal laws and conservative country would look like. But as long as we can agree on those basics, uh, I think that's I think that's very important. Another thing I would add with regard to the things Rufo's working on and DeSantis and some of these other governors is um, it's you're you're fundamentally doing away you're you're doing material damage to the other side you've talked about woke patronage networks you're it's not just that there's going to be less indoctrination it's you're getting rid of jobs and money for the other side and trump to his credit uh with his executive order that was short lived because he didn't get his term uh had had that effect right he signed the, the executive order in 2020 and a number of co- colleges were like suspending diversity festivals and like limiting curricula just to see how things played out so um, it's, uh, it's very important to look at the, the actual ramifications. If someone's doing something against wokeness, right, is it just like bare minimum and they're hoping that that's enough for you to vote for them? Or is it part of a process of, of incrementally, or even very quickly in the case of what's happening at the college in Sarasota, is, is it part of a comprehensive plan to just like get rid of the woke infrastructure overall? And it should be. Absolutely. I hear so many people, I hear this all the time telling me, Oh, well, you know, we don't need to worry about the culture war. The culture war is a distraction. It doesn't matter. We should be focusing on whatever marginal tax cuts or economic incentive or whatever. What they don't understand is while the cultural issues are enough in and of themselves, it should be justified. If someone is looking 
to mutilate a child, you know, under the, the auspices of gender ideology, that should be enough to generate opposition. But this stuff also has a very powerful effect, like you're talking about with the woke patronage. Each step of this revolution has built into it jobs. It has built into it payday, sinecures, infrastructure. There are people getting paid. There are people making a living. There are people who are cashing checks off of all of this stuff. And the great thing about more than just saying the word, saying, ooh, it's anti-American, or it's really got to stop. It's going too far. But the the thing about actually taking that action is not only does it build something for your side, but it it harms the essential infrastructure that the left requires in order to continue to exert its cultural influence. Look, there are plenty of people who are true believers, of course, in wokeness. In fact, most people who are plugged into the network are on some level true believers. But you have to understand that people's in, you know, beliefs are heavily influenced by their material incentives, okay? If there was no one who was offering high prestige, high paying jobs to people who are just you know, uh, vomiting out all kinds of woke garbage in books and giving seminars to corporations and being provided, uh, you know, the, these uh, lifetime appointments inside the university system or high prestige roles inside the media. If these things were to disappear tomorrow, a lot of people would look for the next thing that provided them that power, that money, whatever. And you can get really angry about that. You can whine about that, but that's just human nature. And so you have to understand that a lot of these people are are, they believe in the stuff because that's where their incentives line up. But at the end of the day, if things went another direction, they'd be on board with that. And so I think you're right to point out the stuff that Chris Rufo is doing, because like you said, people might not agree with every aspect, every, every ideological uh, part of some kind of alignment, but he is taking apart specifically institutions and organizations that, that materially benefit leftists. And the thing that the right never does, that the left does all the time, is take scalps, right? When the left comes after someone, they finish them. They get rid of their career. They make sure that they can't have a job anymore. They make sure that they're depersoned. The right is like, yeah, well, we really don't like that, this kind of stuff. It's ugly. But Rufio's, Rufo, Rufio, see now I'm making the Peter Pan references. But Rufo is there, you know, and he's making sure that while he make that these people no longer have a pipeline of material funding for this stuff and prestige, he's also creating and possibly installing a network of people who would be on his side, on our side. And that's incredibly important because it gives pl a place for people to go. It creates incentives for people on our side. It creates a rallying point, And it also gets rid of that dangerous neutral notion that you're talking about. Many people, again, people like Andrew Sultan and, and even uh, Jordan Peterson have come yeah. after Chris Rufo saying, oh, be careful. Now you're going to be just like the left. Let, let's talk about that a little bit. Why are people like Jordan Peterson coming after someone like Chris Rufo? Why don't they want to see uh, someone like him succeed in establishing a counter narrative to the left in the university system? I'm glad you brought that up. I hadn't really considered that angle prior when I was doing some some basic show prep before this, but that's very good. I've seen, I, and I was even tweeting about Jordan Peterson with, uh, what did he say? Careful, you know, don't don't support the government censors or something. And yeah, well, and that's just the thing is at the end of the day, you can say you're in support of something, you're against something, you can use it to uh, grift, you know, donations and, um, you know, get clicks on social media. But at the end of the day, when someone is actually taking substantive, uh, substantive action against whatever you claim to be against, uh, that, that's when that's when it really, you know, your, your true colors are revealed and at the end of the day, so many of these people actually aren't willing to do what must be done to end wokeness. Nothing that Rufo is doing is like extreme or like fascism or anything of the sort. No. Um, it's it's basically fully lawful and just it, that's the thing. It's like, OK, you're using the laws to get rid of like bias against entire classes of of people. And somehow that's, oh, is that government censorship, Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson, who's been tweeting out about how if you say like LOL and LMFAO that you're that you're a narcissistic Machiavellian. Yeah, it's, it's really wacky. But um, and again, uh, you'll you'll see the true colors. You'll you'll see someone what the, what they're really about in how they respond to people who are actually dismantling left wing 
bureaucracies. Uh, and, you know, we talked about this earlier. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily our enemies, but if you're not willing to support, if someone isn't willing to support the only conceivable way that you can do away with wokeness, which is doing away with the, me- the, the institutions and the mechanisms by which wokeness is made law, by which people who are insufficiently woke are punished, if you're not willing to do away with all of that, then, you know, you're just, then it's performative, just like the title of the show. So people should definitely be wary of all that. Yeah, it, it really does, like you said, show people's true colors. And, and again, not not to spend the whole time bagging on Peterson, but he, he, you know, he's done this before when it comes to people like the Canadian truckers, right? You know, oh, we need to stand up against tyranny. You need to show your, your, your uh, willingness to put yourself on the line. Oh, here are some people putting themselves on the line saying no to the government. Oh, I don't know, guys. Yeah, not I, like that. That's yeah, not, not what like I had it. in mind. Well, what did you have in mind, Jordan? Yeah, exactly. Like, come on. Everyone gets a stern talking to and receives a book deal. It's just, it, it's very ridiculous. And so we routinely see people like this come after, you know, guys like Rufo. And again, like I said, Rufo is really not providing any kind of extreme pushback. He's simply stripping out the incentives to go the other direction, right? And he's making sure that there's some kind of real uh there's something to fill the void nothing radical nothing crazy but just understanding that there needs to be some kind of understanding of basic american pride basic rationality basic you know just things that were common sense in the culture uh a few decades ago they it'd be okay if those things reasserted themselves in order to push back against what's happening now it's pretty mild it's 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 really might not in, in my eyes might not even be sufficient but at least shows a willingness to take real action and i think that that's the real thing is that that's why all these people get worried especially people in the center they they never expected opposition to wokeness to require anything of substance they always thought that it would simply be swatting away a few people who had crossed the line who had gone too far who had taken the revolution a little too fast they never thought it would actually mean that the pendulum could possibly swing the other way because why would they right they've never seen the pendulum swing the other way in their whole life and so they can't imagine a scenario in which Look, the, as Rufo pointed out, he's not asking for the government to to even ban the vast majority of this stuff. He's just saying the the citizens should have the right to regulate the institutions that are erected in their name. And right. that seems yeah. to be a, a bridge too far for so many of these people. Yeah, again, nothing that he or most other people who are who are taking steps, even including Trump with his executive order. None of these people are actually advocating for anything like extra constitutional. Uh, and yet that's how they're treated by many of these purported opponents of, of wokeness. It's, it's very odd. Um, another thing to keep in mind uh, is with regard to how it, many of these people who claim to be against wokeness, so many of them want to keep it within the realm of ideas, the battle of ideas, and I'm not against discussing the theory and the intellectual genealogy of some of these ideas, but I think that we should be, the people who are trying to make it all that, that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. The Jordan Petersons, the, some of the intellectual dark web, that, that's really what a lot of these types want to do is just have you thinking about like these obscure thinkers and oftentimes it's wrong, right? Hegel invented wokeness or something. It's like, okay, well, whatever, whatever like little nugget of, of truth that you're trying to like blow up into this big theory is, is probably not correct. Um, but the, the thing to keep in mind is what that distract, what does that distract you from? That distracts you from again, like doing material, uh, political, nonviolent material damage to uh, the woke bureaucracy, which is what needs to be done. That's the only, the, the only way that, any of this is going to be stopped. Conservatives just really need to get it through their heads that the battle of ideas is, it's only useful insofar as you can win people over who are going to do other things, such as take political action to do stuff like Rufo's doing, some of the stuff Trump did in office. That it's, that's what needs to be done, right? Wokeness isn't just some idea that's out there that infects people's minds and, you know, you just have to convince people. That's not the case, right? It emanates from the halls of power. And as a result, you have to stop it from emanating from the halls of power. And that result, that, that involves, you know, some type of people, you know, you could say peaceful regime change, but at the very least, the peaceful restructuring of institutions. And that can happen at the state level. It is in, in some states when I'd like to see a lot more of that. 
whether or not it can happen at the federal level is is kind of up in the air. I think we probably got a few election cycles to see whether or not there's any hope there. I'm not I'm not quite as pessimistic, but you know, I, there's a lot of debate in in my you know political circles as to whether or not there's any hope for kind of a national restoration. And yeah, I'm, I understand the people who are a little more pessimistic on that, but I, I think I think we'll see. Regardless, plenty to be do, uh, plenty to be done locally and nationally. But yeah, you have to. There's an apparatus, right? There are institutions that are mandating these things. And, you know, just the battle of ideas doesn't is only useful insofar as you get people convince people to go and like do the second thing. there. So, yeah, I've said this, you know, before, but I always ask these, you know, principled uh, classical liberal battle of ideas types, like what does winning look like to you? Like, do you think that at some point you just slam down kind of the final argument uh, like like some kind of atheist debate me bro from a decade ago, and then all of a sudden the, those on the radical left are like, oh, you're right, you've you've tracked the exact genealogy of your idea ideas, and they like shake your hand and they like turn over the keys to yeah. the global American empire, and <laughs> you know it, you know Kenny Loggins plays in the distance, like yeah. it's just one of those things where it's like, what what does this actually look like to you? And none of them have an actual path to victory. None of them actually understand what it takes. And I, like you, am very encouraged at the fact that there are changes that take state, you know, place at the state level. A lot of people, you know, Trump, DeSantis, the showdown, you know, all this kind of thing. I've said many times as a Florida resident and a DeSantis fan, I think Ron DeSantis is best served and the country is best served by him staying in Florida. He is making real changes and real gains. He's showing what leadership looks like at a local lever, I, level. I think that there's way more to be done by building these influences and these networks inside states and showing what can be done in that arena rather than just throwing someone into a grinder, which is exactly what a, a battle with Trump would be, and then having their talents wasted, even if they possibly win, once they're wounded and they're sitting at the federal level. I, I just think it's way more powerful. I would take 10 Ron DeSantis governors over owning the house and the Senate in the, with the weak GOP types we have today. Right. I just think that yeah. that would be way more powerful. And so I, I'm one of these people who, who does not have a lot of faith in the ability of the national GOP to kind of, kind of get this stuff done. But I do think that guys like Rufo working with guys like DeSantis are showing that change can be affected on these state levels. There is the, the the federal rot has not spread so entirely to some of these areas and they can create a blueprint for people who do want to build actual change, show what real opposition to wokeness looks like. It's not cracking some jokes on your late night comedy show or, you know, talking about how we got to get rid of this because we won't be able to in invade Russia if we don't, you know, dial down on some of this wokeness. It's, it's getting into these institutions when all of your institutions have been captured by progressives. Like you said, the only thing that the only option you have is to completely replace these things with something that is uh, better, that, that, that completely removes the ability of progressives to control all of these levers of power. And I think that happens much more effectively with operatives like Ru Rufo working at a more local level. Absolutely. And we've been given in the last really few months, a few examples of regime change kind of at the microcosmic level, right? At the, the smaller version, not at the national level, of course. And one of them was Twitter, right? That's kind of the private sector. There's some parallels to, to you know, the government and so forth, how you can, uh, you know, fire a lot of the diversity, you know, hires and, and whatever else and actually get like a, co a company that runs better. And um and, and we're kind of seeing there are many lessons to be learned for people who are interested in studying them. Uh, the lessons, just, you, you know, hostile takeover um, and, and seeing these things play out. We're seeing that with Rufo as well. And uh, one important thing to keep in mind is there's this kind of idea. I think everything Darren Beatty tweeted this out. He had a very good uh, article on Revolver.News talking about everything that Rufo did and why it's significant. One important thing to keep in mind is there's often often the idea of the long march through the institutions, the idea that you're just going to get conservatives and, you know, we're all going to go uh, high, get into academia and we're going to slowly take it over. Well, that is what the left did. And you can learn some things from studying how the left took over our country. But it's important that we can't cargo cult the left. We have to keep in mind that the the, the situation when the the doors were almost wide, basically wide open for the left back in the in the 60s. 
Um, and you could argue that even, you know, there was a, you know, a quiet top level elite revolution that had taken place in the preceding decades. Um, but the important thing to keep in mind is that at, at Twitter with Elon Musk and also at the college down in, in uh, Sarasota, Florida with, with Chris Rufo, there's, it was kind of like one fell swoop. I think Yarvin refers to that as like a decapitation strike. It's not, this wasn't, you know, Christopher Rufo like worked his way up. He like got a low level job uh, using a fake name or something and aha, now he's running it. And he came out as Chris Rufo. No, it was, it was like high level action all of a sudden, you know, out with the old in with the new. And I think there's a lesson to be learned there. Again, decapitation strikes sound scary. We're talking about like peaceful political change. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think that's probably going to be the way that we see institute that that probably is going to be the more winning strategy for the right. We can't just quietly take over the long march through the institutions. No, I mean, I support people, you know, getting getting experience in like local politics and whatever else. I'm not saying like don't work within institutions at all. Um, but there is something to be said for the right and left being fundamentally different, metaphysically different. The left can just like eat away at things over time, whereas the right oftentimes just, you know, maybe you need to do like one thing and that uh, has has resulted in a, in a change in power. So I just think it's very interesting to study some of these and then hopefully there will be more. I mean, that's the thing with, it's it's harder for other people out there to just like buy social media companies. You need to have like <laughs> hundreds of billions of dollars. So uh, telling people, so, you know, just telling someone to go buy YouTube or something, well, it would be nice, but... We'll see. Um, but I do think that, you know, Rufo's model down there uh, with, with that college, more easily replicable. Now, that isn't to say it was easy, but, it, you, you know, I think that could be replicated in other states. And I would like to see other states do that. I would like to see other red states, you know, Texas, um, some of these others that have like decent governors and, and uh, many patriotic political activists to see what's going on in Florida and, and to do that. And if we can do that all over the country, then right, that's not the national level restoration, but but state resistance to leftism, to globalism, regardless of of the outcome at the federal level going forward, is going to be very important, right? So I, I think there are many many lessons to be learned here, and hopefully other people apply them uh, in areas where you can do so. Yeah, I think it's really important to point out the left, the the metaphysical dynamic, uh, the the difference there between left and right, because this is something that Yarvin talks about. Right, he talks about how in you know. Uh, entropy and extropy are not the same thing. And the li- the left is entropic, right? It, it, mm-hmm. The left is able to win because it uses entryism to move into these institutions and slowly erode their, in- the, their conservative nature over time, right? They're, they're able to pull things slowly. Cthulhu swims slowly, but he always swims to the left. This mm-hmm. is kind of the, the nature of the left is that they, they disassemble, they break apart traditional coalitions and they reform and, and reinstitute hierarchies based on uh, their ability to kind of offer these things to people who otherwise might not be advantaged. And so this is something that the left does very well. The right doesn't really have that option. And so the right needs to create suddenly. It needs to take control of things in a more abrupt manner as you were talking about. And again, that can mean in a very simple thing like uh, Rufo, you know, being, uh, you know, appointed in some level of influence in time inside this educational institution, right? It can, it can be something as simple as that, but it, like you said, it happens suddenly. It doesn't happen by slowly wearing around away the foundations of leftism. You're not going to get yeah. uh, a bunch of, you know, influential 20 something conservative academics into a college and slowly erode its leftism you take it over entirely that that that's how change comes kind Absolutely. of in, in the rightward direction. So I think that is really important there. Like you said, there's things we can learn from the left. It's good to understand how things came to power, but obsessing about the way they did things doesn't teach you how you can do things, how you can secure victories. Understanding that I think is really essential. Well, we are stacking up a decent amount of uh, super chats here. So I want to go ahead and get started on those here in a second. But can you let people know where to find your stuff, Patrick? Sure. Well, if you go to at Restore Order USA on Twitter, you can follow me back on Twitter. Thank you, Elon Musk, for <laughs> giving me a second life. I was very unexpected, but it's been it's been great. And you can find my link tree there. I've, I've, I do interviews with uh, all sorts of people, many people you would recognize from uh, Mr. McIntyre's channel here. So that's, uh, those are the main places to look for me. Thank you. 
Absolutely. All right, guys, let's go ahead and go to these super chats real quick. Please remember, guys, if you uh, would like to listen to the show as a podcast, do remember, of course, that it is now available on all your major podcast platforms. So go check out the Orrin McIntyre show on Apple, Spotify, any of these guys. And when you do, just leave that rating or the review. It really helps out with everything. So Creeper Weirdo here for $5. Thank you very much. Says, uh, you ever notice how quick Norwegians are? Uh, are so quick to give praise to the left comedians. Uh, how do they not see how fake it is? Yeah, this has been a particular issue for me. I have railed against this multiple times. You will very regularly see conservatives of very high stature run, you know, they'll cartwheel into the uh, fire for Bill Maher. They'll, they'll just sprint towards any kind of uh, criticism of Bill Maher from the left. You know, it, it, you can almost see all the articles being queued up from all of your conservative websites. Bill Maher out there firing back against the woke left again. But then when the average person gets canceled, nothing, right? Like no, there's no there's no support for those people. There's no pushback. There's no voices. It's, it's all support uh, for guys like Bill Maher and never anything for people, average people who are getting their lives destroyed. And I've talked about this phenomenon many times. You know, the, the right cancels to, the, the, the left reaches out to its left and cancels to its right. And the right reaches out to its left and cancels to its right, which should tell you something about our political dynamic in the United States. Uh, the, the conservatives know it's safe to rush out and secure the support of someone like Bill Maher because he's never really going to get canceled. He's never really going to end up losing. Yeah, he lost a TV show way back when, but he bounced right back. Like, There's never really going to be any kind of consequences for standing up for a guy like that. But standing up for someone who might be a little bit to your right, that's way more dangerous because at any moment, you could be linked to this person. All of a sudden, you're the one getting canceled. So I think there, there's a lot of peop- things at play in this dynamic. But I think that the fact that uh, our culture is very quick to always extend infinite chances to left and immediately cancel people to the right is a big part of it. Oh, let's see here. Uh, we've got conquest theory i think he put in two thank you very much sir for your donation there and then a question from conquest theory uh ten dollars thank you one of the hardest aspects of pushing back against wokeism is being branded authoritarian by those who portray liberalism as a value neutral even people on the right still don't know what time it is yeah that is also really essential right so often people assume that the imposition of left-wing values is the neutral position right it is the null hypothesis. So if you are pushing back against the left wing, you must be authoritarian. Now, the left is, of course, canceling any and everyone it can. It's destroying anyone who speaks out against them. They're literally putting people like the FBI on you know, people who protest who are Christian or you know, sending them after parents who don't want to see transgenderism pushed in their school. Um, so you, but this is not authoritarianism, right? Author- authoritarianism only arises when the right wants to stop the excesses of the left, never when the left is going after just average people on the right. But uh, feel free to jump in if you have anything to say, uh, Patrick. Sure. Well, I think, I think in your work, you cover the, you know, shatter the illusion of value neutrality very well. It's really important to stress is that it just really never existed. <laughs> um, yeah. There's this just kind of like fake history where, you know, America prior to wokeness was value neutral. No, we had anti-sodomy laws on the book. Like, I, re- I remember them being repealed, like at some point in my lifetime. Now, I'm not saying that like those we need to bring those back right away. Otherwise, <laughs> the country is going to be destroyed. But I mean, it's worth pointing out that, yeah, someone's values always will reign. And the people who are trying to tell you that what they support is value neutral, like that is that is a political act. That is a political act masquerading as as one being neutral. So oftentimes once you peel away the invocations of neutrality, of humanity, of of democracy, whatever, there's like a very uh, shrewd and cunning political agenda there. So it's, yeah, conservatives who are kind of rubes who think, well, well, if we do anything with the state, then the other side's going to do it to us. Well, they're doing it to you anyways. So um, yeah, there's, there's, if you just look at what, what made the West great to begin with, it's, there's always been, you know, respect for traditional Western religion, right? Christianity, patriarchy, things of this nature. So, you know, we're not advocating for like extreme right-wing authoritarianism, just uh, that, you know, it should be 
illegal to uh you know do child drag shows or whatever form of insanity being opposed to that makes you sane it does not make you an authoritarian so yeah telling people please stop feeding children puberty blockers is is not authoritarian it's just it's just the sensible center it's what sensible people would do right right? (laughs) i I like to explain to people that the 90s is a weird apex right people who live through you know i'm a child i was born in the 80s but i'm a child of the 90s a lot of people want to get back to the 90s. That's the moment. That, that That's the golden era. Everybody was was making money and, and, and you could do whatever you wanted. But I try to explain to people that there this was a, a cultural apex. You had the, you know, the the right was or, or conservatism or whatever you want to call it, traditional values, whatever. They were in control for a very long time, but the left was ascendant. It's moving up and up. And then for just a very moment there in the 90s, it looked like the ball was just hanging in the middle, right? The ball had been thrown up. It's hanging in the air. And people who saw it in the air were like, oh, the ball just always hangs in the air. It just hovers in the air forever. And then it started falling down the other direction and the left became you know, completely in charge. And they're always like, what happened? I thought we were neutral. It's like, no, you were never neutral. You just viewed a small window of time in which there was this cultural battle going on where like one side didn't have total domination over the other. And you viewed that as the natural state of culture throughout right. like, history, but it's not at all. That, that's never the case. That's never how any culture has ever worked. And it's certainly not how the culture of the United States has worked. If you have any interest in the actual traditions, the actual values in the United States, the actual return or just continuance of something that used to be uniquely American, you you can't pretend like the 90s is the reflection of kind of how that works. You have to understand that not all assertions of traditional values are somehow authoritarian. That's exactly uh, ridiculous. Um, Creeper Weirdo here for $5 again. Thank you very much. When your culture is so far to the left, any move to the right feel too fast. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. It's, that's why the left just screams, uh, you know, they just absolutely lose their mind the minute people provide even the most mild pushback, right? Like I, I made this point about Trump, you know, all credit to Trump, this is not a strike against him, but Trump is a blue dog Democrat, right? He's he's culturally liberal on a lot of things. He has, a, but he has a lot of good instincts when it comes to like protectionism and and uh, opposing foreign wars, or forever wars, and these kind of things. And unfortunately, at this point, that's about as far right as the country can go, right? And that that that, that is considered radically right wing at this point. Being being a uh, blue dog Democrat is as as radical as people can be on the right wing at this point. And so any push beyond that, right, when, you, when you've painted Trump as the return of the German painter, anything beyond Trump just seems absolutely insane. But of course, Trump is very mild and moderate in comparison to a Republican Party of just a few decades ago. And so I think it's really difficult for people to see that shift because it, you know, it happens during their lifetime. But if you look back with any historical context, you can see that, in fact, uh, you know, we're not there's nothing, again, crazy or radical by saying maybe you should just ban child drag shows. Like that's that's a perfectly reasonable thing that would have been very obvious just a few decades ago would have been uh, taken as for granted without any pushback. Do you remember there was an article at some point during Trump's first and hopefully not only uh, term where it, it was in a mainstream publication. It was like a major journalist who it was like, I, I mean, it's very vague. Uh, it was either an article or a tweet, but basically saying that, like, th- it's an insult to Hitler to tie Trump to. So it was like some high profile journalist made this this claim that basically yeah, Trump I, was I remember. Worse yeah. Than Hitler. Do you remember who that was? I don't, but I remember, I do remember that article because of, because yeah. they literally made the meme. They did the meme. Was, yeah. yeah and I, I mean, you did have people push back against that because even, you know, the average New York Times journalist, that's like not the standard line, but there are people out there who felt like that really. And that's just because to see like someone mildly right wing in, you know, doing things against the left to them, it's like, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's more, you know, present and it's like there in the moment. And, you know, it seemed like it was a sincere, uh, you know, expression of, of emotion of sentiment there. I mean, it's utter insanity. But yeah. Oh no, they believe it. They believe it. 100%. You, yeah. you have to, you, you have to, again, there are plenty of people who are motivated by the material incentives, but they really buy into this stuff. They, they, they are true believers and they, they really do have this, uh, 
this view of history where Trump is the apex of, of, of you know, that that uh, no form of rightism was ever defeated, no form of like fascism or anything were ever defeated at the end of the day. Uh, they, they were just continued and now brought even an, uh, more powerfully forward by people like Trump. And so, yeah, they can enter, they can uh, entertain ideas like that uh, with, without any sense of irony. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, so I did a brief little fact check here, and it looks like Noam Chomsky believe uh, said that he believes that Trump is the worst criminal in human history. And I think I think people did press him on that, like, well, Stalin, Hitler, and I'm pretty sure he he stuck to his guns there, which is just like this is the guy who's argued against the free trade, neoliberal policies, and foreign wars and whatever. And really, the you know some guy comes along who's like mildly socially conservative and not in favor of mass immigration. Now all of a sudden, <laughs> it's very silly, but. Yeah. It shows you how insane the vanguard of the left is, right? Like they, they'll push back against all this stuff. They'll make all of these arguments. And the minute someone on the right makes exactly the same arguments, they'll just declare because at the end of the day, it's friend enemy all the way down. And I will say, I'll, I'll take a moment to give credit where credit's due. You do guys have guys like Jimmy Dore and you do have guys like Glenn Greenwald and we'll disagree on almost everything, mm-hmm. but they, they do have the courage of their convictions on this stuff. They really did buy into this as the idea of the left. Now they're wrong that that's what the left was, but they but they at least had the courage to break with that, and in many ways paid cost for it. So I I, I do want to you know give those guys uh, credit because there are people who who did hold those views, but it is hilarious that guys like Chomsky who are supposed to be you know just this this intellectual vanguard, this radical left that you know that fight against the establishment and are always pushing the left to go further. The minute someone on the right says something similar to what they've been saying their entire lives. Oh, that guy's actually uh, Hitler because, you know, of course he is. That's all we see as enemy. Yeah. Uh, Life of Brian here for $5. Thank you, sir. The IDW was a, uh, uh, has a span of opinion. Brett Weinstein is probably the most sincere with Lindsay. On the other hand, Harris is now off the spectrum. Yeah, Mm -hmm. to be clear. So that's, that's very fair, right? There are, um, this was always a loose, co- loose coalition of thinkers. There are people like Harris who dabbled their toe in and immediately lost their mind the minute Trump came around. And they never really had that conviction very clearly from the way that Harris has reacted saying, yeah, I believe in free speech in the marketplace of ideas, but you have to ban Trump and it's okay to fabricate evidence to do so. Two guys like Brett Weinstein, who, uh, you know, still would oppose you know many of maybe socially conservative positions but he does seem to have a general he you know to his, again in his defense did speak out a lot about the pandemic and related things that we can't talk about so much on YouTube but but he he took big steps and big hits and suffered bans and and ostracization for many of those positions so it is fair to say that many of these people shouldn't be totally lumped in together because there is there is quite a bit of difference. I want to be very clear uh, for a second. I'll just take a, a quick second to, to say this. I don't really have an interest in going after people who are generally pulling in the same direction. But the thing that will always and every time set me off, the thing that I will always stamp it up against is people who attempt to cancel people who should be on their side because they don't agree with them in every way. So when I see people like Lindsay, when I see people like Peterson, when I see many other people on Twitter jump on and say, oh, well, yeah, we agree against wokeness. We're totally against this stuff. We're 100% against this stuff. But I see that you might be in a camp that I don't like. And so I'm going to go out of my way to cancel you, destroy you, slander you, because I don't want, I want to make sure you're not in the coalition when we win, I have a problem with those people. And I will always push back against those people because if they were telling the truth, if they were really all only here for the opposition of wokeness or or whatever this stuff is, then they would be fine with saying, okay, well, we got to get this job done, but they're not They're They're gatekeeping. They're policing. They're oftentimes lying and smearing with the, with the attempt to try to push people uh, out out of the coalition so that they can reign supreme whenever they think they get themselves back to the 90s. That's when I have a problem. I haven't seen a lot of that from Brett Weinstein. Maybe he does. I haven't paid a lot of attention to him in a long time. But for guys who don't have that propensity, you'll never see me pushing back against them. For people who do, that that's when I have a problem. You know, again, I benefited greatly from the work of Jordan Peterson. I respect his intellect in many areas greatly. 
that's why I'm so disappointed with what he's doing now. I, I say these things from a position of appreciation for someone who I thought did really important work. And I want to see them back on that track doing the work that matters, not sniping at people trying to, you know, cancel them or get or push them out when they try to do something that's valuable, right? I, that that That's always when I have a problem. That's always when you, I don't go out of my way to pick e-drama. The only time you'll see me talking about people like this is specifically when they try to cancel or hurt other people who are supposed to be pulling that direction. But uh, Creeper Weirdo here for two dollars 90s kids are cringe that is all well as a 90s kid i want to say thank you so much sir uh i will remember all of my teenage mutant ninja turtles and double dragon nes cartridges uh but uh but i appreciate you calling my fond childhood memories uh, uh cringe i know one day all of that'll sound just as boomery as the beatles do now so i'm i'm really <laughs> i'm ready for that uh, uh for that to hurt but all right let's see i think that was all of our super chats all right, guys. So make sure you're checking out Restoring Order. Make sure you're checking out uh, Patrick's stuff. I want to thank him so much for coming on today. Been a great discussion. And I also want to say that if you, again, uh, it's your first time here, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Uh, if you have not, go ahead and jump on and subscribe to the podcast as well. And if you do so, go ahead and leave that rating and that review. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming by, everybody. And as always, we will talk to you next time.